Chapter twenty six of The Side of the Angels by Basil King. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Chapter twenty six. For would you mind if I went away for a little while? He looked at her across the luncheon table, but her eyes were downcast. Though she endeavoured to maintain the non committal attitude she had taken up at breakfast, she couldn't meet his gaze. If you went away, he echoed blankly. "'Why should you do that?' "'I've been to see—' She found a difficulty in pronouncing the name. "'I've been to see Rosie. She's rather upset.' Under the swift lifting of her lids he betrayed his self-consciousness. "'I suppose so.' He kept to the most laconic form of speech in order to leave no opening to her penetration. "'And I thought if I could take her away—where would you go?' "'Oh, anywhere. That wouldn't matter. To New York, perhaps.' That might interest her, but anywhere so long as— He got out his consent while making an excuse for rising from the table. The conversation was too difficult to sustain. It was without looking at him that she said, as he was leaving the room, Then I'll go and ask her at once. I dare say she won't come, but I can try. It will give me an excuse for going back. I feel worried at having left her at all. Between three and four that afternoon she entered her husband's office hurriedly. It was Mrs. Dearlove who received her. "'Do you know where Dr. Masterman is? Do you know where he expected to call this afternoon?' Brightstone consulted a card hanging on the wall. "'He was to have seen Mrs. Gibson, number 10 Susan Street, sometime through the day.' Lola made no secret of her agitation. "'Have they a telephone?' "'Oh, no, hardly. Only a poor shawl woman.' "'Was he going anywhere at all where they could have a telephone?' Mrs. Dearlove, having mentioned the possibilities— Lois rang up house after house. She left the same message everywhere. Four was to be asked to come directly to his office, where she was awaiting him. It was after four when he appeared. She met him in the little entry, and, taking him by the arm, drew him into the waiting-room. "'Come in, Thor, dear, come in.' She knew by his eyes that he suspected something of what she had to tell. "'Caught me the long ears,' he tried to say in a natural voice, but he could hardly force the words beyond his lips. "'It's Rosie Thor, she said instantly. "'She's all right.' He dropped into a chair, supporting himself on a round table strewn with illustrated papers and magazines for the entertainment of waiting patients. His lips moved, but no sound passed them. Long, dark shadows streaked the pallor of his face. She sat down beside him, covering his hands with her own. "'She's all right, Thor, dear, now, and I, and I don't think she'll be any the worse for it in the end. She may be the better.' we can't tell yet, but—but but you haven't heard it in the village, have you?' He shook his head, perhaps because he was dazed, perhaps because he didn't trust himself to speak. "'That's good,' she spoke breathlessly. "'I was so afraid you might. I, I wanted to tell you myself, so that you wouldn't—you wouldn't get a shock. There's no reason for a shock. Not now, Thor. It's only—it's only just what I was afraid of, what I spoke of at lunch. She—she—she did it.' He found strength to speak. "'She did what?' Lola continued the same breathless way. She threw herself into the pond, but she's all right. Jim Breen and Robbie Willett were out in a boat, fishing. They, they saw her. They got to her just as she went down the second time. Jim Breen dived after her and brought her up. She, she wasn't unconscious very long, and fortunately Dr. Hill was close by, at old Mrs. Jukes's in Schoolhouse Lane. So she's home now, and all right, or, or nearly. I arrived just as they were bringing her ashore. She was breathing then. I went on before them to the house. I, I told Mrs. Fay and Mr. Fay— 
I saw them put her to bed. She's all right, and, and then I came here to tell you, Thor. He struggled to his feet, throwing his head back and clenching his fists. I swear to God that if I ever see Claude again, I'll, I'll kill him. Without rising, she caught one of his hands and pulled him downward. Sit down, Thor, she said in a tone of command. You mustn't take it like that. You mustn't make things worse than they are. They're bad enough as it is. They're so bad, or at least so hard for, for some of us, that we must do everything we can to make it possible to bear them. He sat down at her bidding, but with elbows resting on the table, he covered his face with his hands. She clasped her own and sat looking at him. That is, she sat looking at his strong knuckles and at the shock of dark hair that fell over the fingertips where the nails dug into his forehead. She felt a great pity for him, but a pity that permitted her to sit there, watchful, detached, not as if it was Thor, but someone else. There would be an end now to silences and concealments. She saw that already. He was making no further attempt to keep her in the dark. In the shock of the moment, all the barricades he had built around his secret life had fallen like the walls of Jericho. She had nothing to do but walk upward and inward and take possession. All was open. There was neither shrine nor sanctuary any longer. It was no privilege to be admitted thus. Anybody would have been admitted who sat beside him as she was sitting now. But in the end the paroxysm passed, and his hands came down. "'I know it's hard for you, Thor.' The eyes he turned on her were full of such unspeakable things that she stopped. She was obliged to wait till he looked away again before she could go on. "'I know it's hard for you, Thor. It's hard for, for us all. But my point is that bitterness or violence will only make it worse. You must remember—I feel that I must remind you of it—that you're not the—' "'Not the only sufferer.' He bowed his head into his hands again, but without the mad anguish of a few minutes earlier. "'Where so much is intolerable,' she pursued, "'what we have to do, each one of us, is to see how tolerable we can make things for everyone else.' He raised his head for one quick, reproachful glance. "'Do you mean tolerable for, for Claude?' "'Yes, I do mean for Claude. We shan't have to punish him.' He gave her another look. Then what have we got to do? Nothing that isn't kind and, and well thought out beforehand. That's really the important thing. When one can't move without hurting someone, isn't it better not to move at all? It was the old doctrine of tarrying the Lord's leisure, against which his instincts were still in revolt. His indignation was such that he could partially turn and face her. "'Do you mean to say that we should let him abandon her, now?' She laid her hand on his arm. "'Oh, Thor, dear, it isn't for us to let, or prevent, or anything. We can't drive other people, and it's only to a slight degree that we can lead them. Even I know that. What we can do best is to follow, and pick up the pieces.' He shook his head blankly. "'I don't understand. What good would that do?' She rose, saying quietly, "'I shall have to let you think it out for yourself.' As he remained seated, his forehead resting on his hand, she passed behind him. With her arm thrown lightly across his shoulders, she bent over him till her cheek touched his hair. "'Thor, dear,' she whispered, "'we've got our own problems to solve, haven't we? We can't solve Claude's and Rosie's too. No one could do that but themselves.' Whatever happens, whether he comes back and marries her, or whether he doesn't, 
No help would ever come of your interference, or mine. If we'd only understood that before. You mean if I had? Well, for darling, you haven't. You see, human beings are so terribly free. I say terribly on purpose, because you can't compel them to be wise and prudent and safe, even when they're making the most obvious mistakes. We must let them make them, and suffer, and learn. She bent closer to his ear. And it's what we must do, Thor, dear, you and I. We've made our mistakes already, though perhaps we didn't know it. Now we must have the suffering and, and the learning. She brushed her lips lightly across his hair and left him. As she walked through the square and past the terminus of the tram line and on into the beginning of County Street, she was obliged to keep repeating her own words. Nothing that isn't kind and well thought out beforehand. Having counselled him against bitterness and violence, she saw that her immediate task was not to swallow her own words. Bitterness was beyond suppression, and violence would have been so easy. "'Well thought out beforehand,' she emphasised. "'Whatever I do, I must keep to that. If I don't, God knows where we shall be.' In pursuance of this principle, she turned in at her father-in-law's gate. He and Mrs. Masterman must also be warned. Rose's rash act would touch them so closely that unless they were informed of it gently, something regrettable might be said or done. As to that, however, her fears proved groundless. Masterman himself opened the door for her she went up the steps. "'Saw you coming,' he explained. "'Just got out from town. Edith's been telling me the most distressing thing, the most damnably theatrical, idiotic thing. Perhaps you've heard of it.' "'I know what you mean. I've been there. I was there when they brought her ashore. It may have been idiotic, as you say, but I don't think it was theatrical.' "'You will when you know. Ina!' He called up the stairs after they entered the hall. "'Lois is here. Come down.' Mrs. Masterman entered the library a minute later, with both hands outstretched. "'Oh, my dear, what a comedy this is!' It was not often that her manner forsook its ladylike suavity. "'What a comedy! But, of course, you don't know. Nobody knows, thank God. But we must tell you.' She turned to her husband. "'Will you tell her, Archie, or shall I?' "'If it's about Claude and Rosie Fay,' Lois said, when they got seated, "'I know all that. Thor told me. "'He told me yesterday because, well, because I've been taking an interest in Rosie for some months past, "'and when I went to see her yesterday afternoon, old Mr. Fay wouldn't let me. "'He said there'd been trouble or something between Claude and Rosie.' "'Oh, he's been so romantic, poor boy,' he interrupted. "'And so loyal, you'd hardly believe. He's been taken in completely.' He did want to marry her, that's true. There's no use denying it. He told his father, and he told me. Oh, you've no idea. We've been so worried. But he must have found her out. Simply found her out. Lois weighed the wisdom of asking questions, or of learning more than Thor chose to tell her. But in the end it seemed reasonable to ask. Found her out? How? Ina threw up her pretty hands. Oh, well, with a girl of that sort, what could you expect?' "'Claude's been completely taken in, or he was. "'He's so innocent, poor boy. "'He wouldn't believe, not even when I told him. "'I tried to stand by him. I really did. "'Didn't I, Archie? "'When he said he wanted to marry her, I said, uh, said I, "'If she's a good girl, Claude, and loves you, I'll accept her.' "'I really did, Lois, and you can imagine what it cost me. "'But I could see at once. "'Anyone who wasn't infatuated as Claude was "'would have seen at a glance.' 
The girl must be, well, something awful. Lois spoke warmly. Oh, I, I don't think that. My dear Lois, I know. What's more, Thor knows too. And I must say I can't help blaming Thor. He's backed Claude up and backed him up when all the while he's known what she was. Lois felt obliged to speak. I don't think he's known anything, anything to her discredit. Oh, but he has, I assure you he has, and what amazes me about Thor, simply amazes me, is that she shouldn't see it in the right light. Archie did, as soon as I told him, didn't you, Archie? And I didn't tell him, Eden ran on excitedly, till I saw what a trouble dear Claudie was in. When Claudie began to see for himself, I betrayed his confidence to the extent of telling his father, but, but not before. You could hardly blame me for that, could you? His own father. And when I did tell Archie, why, it was so plain that a child could have understood. The question, what was plain, could not but come to Lois's lips, but she succeeded in withholding it. She even rose with signs of going. It was Archie who responded to his wife, taking a man's view of that which seemed to her so damning. We must make allowances, of course, for its being a cock-and-bull story to begin with. Girls like that never know how to tell the truth. We couldn't treat it as a cock-and-bull story so long as Claude believed it, the mother declared, in defence of her right to be anxious. And Thor believed it too, I know he did, and I do blame Thor for not telling Claude. A boy so inexperienced that a girl couldn't be getting money from some other man and go on getting it after she was married, unless there'd been something wrong. Lois felt as if her blood had been arrested at her heart. Money from some other man? "'Money from some other man,' Mrs. Martinman repeated firmly. "'I told Claude at the time that no man in his senses would settle money on a girl like that "'unless there had been a reason, and a very good reason, too. "'A very good reason, too,' I said. "'But Claude's as ignorant of the world as if he was ten years old. "'He really is. He, she took him in completely.' "'Being too consciously a gentleman to say more in disparagements of a woman's character "'than he'd have permitted himself already,' Masterman remained in the library while his wife accompanied Lois to the door. The latter had said good-bye and was descending the steps when Ida cried out in a tone that was like a confession. "'Oh, Lois, you don't think that poor girl had any reason to throw herself into the pond, do you?' At the foot of the steps Lois turned and looked upward. Ina was wringing her hands, but the daughter-in-law didn't notice it. As a matter of fact, Lois was too deeply sunk into thoughts of her own to have any attention to spare for other people's searching of heart. Having heard the question, she could answer it but absently, and as though it were a point of no pressing concern. She hadn't the reason you were thinking of. I feel very sure of that. I've, I've asked her mother, and she says she knows it. Mrs. Masterman was uttering some expression of relief, but Lois could listen to no more. In her heart there was room for only one consideration. Money. Money she was saying to herself as she went down the avenue beneath the leafing elms. He was going to give up that. But Ina returned to the threshold of the library, where her husband, standing with his back to the empty fireplace, was meditating moodily. Uh, Archie, she faltered, you do think that girl was only seeking notoriety, don't you? He raised his head, which had been hanging pensively. Certainly, don't you? She tried to speak with conviction. Oh, yes, of of course. That is, Archie analysed, she was going in for cheap tragedy in the hope that the sensation would reach Claude. 
That was her game, quite evidently. I dare say it was a put-up job between her and those two young men. Took very good care, at any rate, to have them alongside. But if Claude should hear of it... I must see that he doesn't. Worrying him to-night to go on to Japan after he's seen California. Let him go to India, if he likes, round the world. Anything to keep him away. And you and I, he added, had better hook it till the whole thing blows over. She looked distressed. Hook it, Archie? Close the house up and go abroad. Haven't been abroad for three years now. Little motor trip through England and back toward the end of the summer. Fortunately, I've sold that confounded property. Good price, too. Hobson of Hobson and Davies. Going to bill for residence. Takes it from the expiration of the lease, which is up in July. He'll clear out the whole gang, then, so that by the time we come back they'll be gone. What do you think? Might do Devonshire and Cornwall. Always wanted to take that trip. A few weeks in Paris before we come home. The suggestion of going abroad came as such a pleasing surprise that Mrs. Masterman slipped into a chair to turn it over in her mind. Then Claude couldn't come back, could he? Expressed the first of the advantages she foresaw. He'd have nowhere to go. Oh, you'll not be in a hurry to do that, Archie said confidently. And I do want some things, she mused further. I had nothing to wear for the darling's ball, nothing. And you know how long I've worn the dinner dresses I have? I really couldn't put on the green again. She was silent for some minutes, when another of those queer little cries escaped her, such as had broken from her lips when she stood at the door with Lois. But, oh, Archie, I want to do what's right. What's right, Archie? He looked at her from under his brows, as his head again drooped moodily. "'What's what?' "'What's right, Archie? Latterly—I oh, don't know, but latterly—' She passed her hand across her brow. "'Sometimes I feel like—I I get to be afraid, Archie, as if we weren't—as if we hadn't—as if something were going to happen—to to overtake us.' Crossing the room, he bent back her pretty head and kissed her. No, "'Nonsense!' he smiled unsteadily. "'Nerves, dear. Don't wonder at it, with all we've been through, one way and another. "'That's what we'll do. Close the house up and go abroad for three months. "'Inconvenient just now with the upset of the business, but we'll, we'll do it. "'Get out of the way. See something new.' "'There now, old girl,' he coaxed, patting her on the shoulder. "'Brace up and shake it off. Nothing but nerves.' "'He added, as he moved back toward his stand by the fireplace, "'Get em yourself.' "'Do you, Archie? Like that? Like, like what I said?' He had resumed his former attitude, his feet wide apart, his hands behind his back, his head hanging, when he muttered, "'Hi, the devil!' She was not sure how much mental discomfort was indicated by the phrase, so she sat looking at him distressfully. Being unused to grappling with grave questions of right and wrong, she found the process difficult. It was like wandering through morasses in which she could neither sink nor swim, till she found herself emerging on solid familiar ground again, with a reconciling observation, "'Well, I do need a few things.'" End of chapter 26